Well, good morning. I've probably spoken at Denton over the last seven years, probably 10 to 15 times or so. And normally, I don't get nervous. Normally, I'm, I'm pretty calm and, and collected. But this morning, I've got a little sense of, of nervousness running through my body. And, and it's not because I'm nervous about speaking in front of you. It's because this message this morning is really important. And I hope that, that I can do it diligence and that I hope that, that you'll be able to understand the meaning behind it and as we go through this that, that it won't confuse you. As I understand it, y'all been going through a series about things that have been misquoted and how people misunderstand the Bible, how they misrepresent what the Bible actually has to say. And before we go on this morning, I want you to think about this, this Bible that you have, this collection of books written throughout 4,000 years. And think about this book. The Bible was written over a long period of time. About 1,600 years is what it took together to, took to put together this book. A span of about 40 different generations of authors wrote this book. This book was written by about 40 different authors, and they ranged from all kinds of different uh, backgrounds. Moses, he was a political leader raised in Egypt. Peter, he was a fisherman. Amos, he was a herdsman. Joshua, a military general. Nehemiah, a cupbearer. Daniel, Luke, a, a doctor, a physician. Solomon, he was a king. Matthew, a tax collector. Paul was a rabbi and, and tent maker. Not only was it written by a bunch of different people, but it was written in a bunch of different places, hundreds of places. Moses in the wilderness. Jeremiah in a dungeon. Daniel on a hillside. Paul in the prison. Luke wrote it while he was just out traveling. John, when he was in exile. Other people wrote from various different places. This book was also written at different times. It was written in times of peace. It was written in times of war. It was also written at times of persecution, other times as well. It was written in different moods. Some people wrote as they were as happy as they could be when they were at the heights of joy in this life. Some people wrote it when they were sad, when they were in sorrow. It was written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Three different languages. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic, and then the New Testament was written in Greek. This Bible, this book, covers all kinds of different subject matter, thousands of different topics. It talks about the origin of man in the universe, the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature of sin, the fall of man, and, and how man can be redeemed the redemption plan for man. All of this is covered in this book. All of these people contributed to this in all these different places. When you look at the Bible, though, there's harmony. There's continuity in this. There's no contradictions in this book. And if you think about maybe this group of people here, we're, let's say we decided to write a book on money management. And you let Michael write a chapter, and Yancey write a chapter, and I write a chapter, and Dusty writes a chapter, and Kyle writes a chapter, you're going to get a lot of confusion. Because we probably all have different ideas on how to manage our money. This book, though, put together by 40 different generations of people in three different continents, has continu continuity. It's perfect. Imagine if, oh, we already went through that. The Bible is not just another book. It's not just another Shakespeare. It's not just another history book. The Bible is perfect. And I hope that this morning we can show its timelessness. We can show how accurate it is. 
that it's historical and that it's perfect. Even though with all this, all the perfection that is in this Bible, people still question it. And this morning, we're going to talk about the inspiration and the relevance of the Bible. And I hope that you'll be able to see this morning that this Bible is the inspired Word of God. Some people have made the quote, and this was the quote that I was responsible for answering this morning, the only reliable part of the Bible are the red words because the rest aren't Jesus' words. Another way to say that is Jesus' teachings must be obeyed while the teachings of the Bible writers, the other Bible writers, can be overlooked. And when I got this, I thought, man, that is a big topic. And, and we're going to answer another question, and then we're also going to answer another question this afternoon. But Michael told me, you've got Sunday morning to preach all that. And I said, eh, probably not going to happen. So we got, we got some time to do this. And I hope that all of this immense amount of material that I've been able to condense it down to something that you can understand and, and that you can teach to other people. First thing I want to show you, though, in answering the fact that Jesus is not the only scripture that we, sh we should listen to is that Jesus never questioned any scripture. He never questioned any passage of scripture, but he called it for what he was, for what it was, the word of God. That's scripture. In fact, Jesus affirms several disputed parts of the Old Testament that some people now would say, that's a fable. That's just a, a, a good bedtime story. In fact, Jesus believed in a single original couple created in the creation week. You can read that in Mark 10, verse 6. And we're not going to go and read a lot of these things just because we don't have time, but they're there for your reference. Jesus believed in the historicity of Noah and that the flood was a real event. You talk to 50% of people now or, or more, They'd said that the flood never happened. But Jesus believed that it happened. Jesus believed in the historicity of Lot and the destruction of Sodom. And we'll talk a little bit more about that this morning. And Jesus believed that Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days. A lot of people say that's impossible. There's no way that that happened. Jesus believed it. Jesus talked and taught about it. Another thing is Jesus affirmed the entire Old Testament as scripture. Not only did he look at specific scriptures and consider them scripture, he looked at the entire writings of the Old Testament, the entire writings of all of these people from Genesis all the way up to Malachi, and he affirmed that as scripture. He talked about the scripture, and you can go read that in John 5. He, he quoted the law, talking about scripture. The law and the prophets the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he talked about Moses and the prophets. So he didn't just say Genesis is valid. He didn't just say Psalms is valid. He talked about the Bible as a whole and talked about everything from, from Genesis all the way to the end of the Old Testament. And he considered it scripture. Jesus quoted from the Old Testament throughout his work. And he, he confirmed those stories that we talked about a minute ago. But he called all of this scripture. He quoted from Deuteronomy when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. We've heard that story countless times. He quoted from Genesis when he was speaking with the Pharisees about marriage. And he quoted from Psalms when he was on the cross. And he quoted hundreds of different things out of the Old Testament. Jesus viewed the Old Testament as scripture. And I hope that as you talk to people, as they bring up the fact that that Old Testament not, might not be scripture, Jesus quoted it as scripture and called it that. 
The other thing I want to point out with this is that Jesus, when Jesus spoke it, that didn't cause it to be Scripture. It was already Scripture. Genesis, when it was written, it was Scripture. Deuteronomy, when it was quoted here, it was Scripture. Christ didn't have to quote it to make it Scripture, but it started out as Scripture. Jesus states in John 10, verse 35, the Scripture, talking about the Old Testament, cannot be broken. Jesus also states, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, talking about the Jews, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Mark seven thirteen. He calls it scripture. He calls it for what it is, the word of God and scripture. Jesus also quoted other men's words, and he called them scripture as well. It wasn't just direct quotes from God that was scripture. But Jesus quoted things from Moses. He quoted things from David in Psalms, and he called that scripture. One example that we can look at is in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 5. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this made them male and female is a quote from Genesis chapter 1, verses 27, and Genesis chapter 5, verse 2. So Jesus is combining those, and he's quoting that. And Genesis, if you think about it, it wasn't written specifically by God. Moses is actually the person who wrote Genesis. And Moses did not sit there and copy word for word down from God and put that in quotation marks. But it was the word of God. And Jesus affirmed that when he said it made them male and female. He was quoting Moses who was inspired by God to write that. Jesus didn't pick and choose what scripture was from God. And we've kind of hinted, hinted at that this morning. Instead he taught from all of it. He talked in uh, Luke chapter 24 verses 25. It says, then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus quoted from all the, he, he said, have you not believed in all that the prophets have spoken? And he started in Moses, started in Genesis, and he worked through the prophets. And he considered that scripture. Think about uh, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Does anybody have any idea what that says? Jesus did, and Jesus quoted from it. He knew it by heart, and he considered it scripture. Jesus quoted from 24 out of the 39 Old Testament books. And we're going to look at the New Testament writers here in a little bit, but they quoted from 34 out of the 39 different New Old Testament books. They all considered that it was scripture and that it was from God. Think about this for a second. The only reason that we have the words of Christ is due to the fact that God used men to write them down. Jesus didn't write a single book in this Bible. Instead, he used men to write these things down so that we could have them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they write about the life. They write about, some of them write about the birth. They write about the life, and then they write about the death. Luke, Paul, Peter, John, other people then write about the teachings of Christ and the, the building of his church after the church was established and after the death of Christ. So think about Jesus. How would he feel 
about being quoted? How would he feel about people writing his words down in this book? Jesus stated that he wanted others to believe in him through the words of men. And if you look at John chapter 17, verse 20, it says, I do not pray for these alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may, be, may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And I think he means this as in a verbal way, that in my word, in their words, but I think he also means it as part of reading it as well. And this is before Jesus was sent to be crucified. He's praying this prayer to God that people are going to hear about him through other people's words, that people are going to be able to, to talk about Jesus. Paul, who was inspired by Jesus, understood that people were going to attack the, attack the authenticity of his, of his teachings. And he wrote about that. Galatians chapter 1, verse 12, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul understood that people were going to say, it was Paul that wrote that. That's Paul's thoughts, not Jesus' thoughts. Paul talks about that, and he says that it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ told me to write this so that everyone could know about it. Another one in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, it says, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. This is talking about, he was talking about worship just before this. He says that if anybody questions you, what I'm writing down is what God told me to write down. It's the commandments of the Lord. It was the inspired word of God. So regardless of whether something is a direct quote from Jesus or whether Jesus has inspired the writer to write that, it is the word of God. It is scripture that has been inspired by God. This is a quote from Eric Lyons, who was, uh, he's a writer on the Apologetics Press, a lot of what I did my research on. He says, to treat the words of Moses, Paul, Peter, and other inspired penmen as second-class scripture is equivalent to saying that God's word is not as important as God's word. And that's due to the fact that everything these people wrote down was God's word. When Peter wrote, he wasn't just writing his words. He was writing God's word. When Paul wrote, same thing. He was writing God's word. It wasn't Peter's word. When Luke was writing, it wasn't Luke's writings. It was God's word. So how did the other writers know what to write about? Verbal inspiration was given to the writers of the New Testament. That's how they knew what God was wanting them to pin down. Christ told the apostles that he was going to give them verbal inspiration. We talked about that a little bit. But Christ says in Luke 21, 13, But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all, from which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. So Christ says, don't even think about what you're going to say beforehand because I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the words that you're going to need to answer this situation. He wanted them to completely rely on not their thoughts, but Christ's words and Christ's inspiration for them. One interesting thing, too, is that the writers of the New Testament knew that they were recording God's word and not their own. And they, they specifically talk about this to leave out all points of doubt. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Paul says, I received it from the Lord. He knew he was being inspired. He knew that God was, was speaking to him and that he was writing down the commandments of the Lord. More than 3,800 times the scripture claims to be inspired by God. Everywhere, as you look from Genesis, as you go to, to Revelation, and it says God said, or the Lord said, or Jesus said, that is the, the scripture claiming to be inspired because it's quoting God. In fact, the psalmist quotes God 175 times in one book. That's how much this book claims to be inspired. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. He said, you're not really hearing what I'm having to say, but it's the word of God. This is what God has to say about this. The writers of the New Testament considered other authors' letters and books as scriptures. So they, don't, they, they not only thought that they were writing down God's word, they knew other people were doing that as well. And one reason that they knew this was because it was through inspiration of God. It wasn't just because they were writing it. It was because God, who wrote all of these different letters through different men, had the same message. The writer of Hebrews quotes Psalms 95, verses 7 through 11. So the Hebrew writer was quoting another writer. Peter refers to Paul's letters, and he considers them to be scriptures as well. And I want to look specifically at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. He uses two different scriptures here. He quotes from two different scriptures, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. The first quote is from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, where it says, you shall not muzzle an ox. And then that scripture was actually pinned down by Moses. And then the laborer is worthy of his wages is actually a, a quote from Luke chapter 10, verse 7. And at the top of this, it says, for the scripture says. So as soon as this was written, they already knew that, that Luke, who was just written just a couple years before this, was scripture. There was no question about it. It was the same thing as Deuteronomy was scripture just like Luke was scripture. So because of their inspiration, the Bible writers never disagreed about subject matter or criticized each other. Let's go back to that. We talked about earlier about if we all were to, to sit down and write this book on money management, how we would get conflicting ideas. Everybody's got different thoughts on it. They never once disagreed about that. I think it's interesting in, in Galatians chapter 2 verse 11 we have this confrontation now when Peter had come to Antioch I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed the problem was Peter here was splitting a church through his actions and Paul talks to him about that and he withstands him to the feet withstands him to the face would that make you mad if someone did that to you they came and got into your face about it even though Paul did that to Peter, Peter never once criticized Paul for doing that. He never once said that Paul's actions or his writings weren't scripture. And Peter actually affirms that the writings of Paul are scripture, even after they have this confrontation. I'm going to talk to you for just a second about the law of the excluded middle. 
And basically what that is in a nutshell is a thing must either be or not be. And if you look at that, that white line that I have there, that line is either a straight line or it's not. It either is something or it's not. It's either a straight line or it's curved. And just like the scripture that we have, the scripture is either inspired or it's not. You can't pick and choose what's inspired and what's not inspired. Either all of it is, script, is, all of it is inspired or none of it's inspired. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. That's either true or it's not. The entire Bible is either inspired or it's not, because it all came from the word of God. And in fact, if you actually look at what this says, all scripture is God-breathed, is the literal translation of that. All scripture is God-breathed. Either it's not or it is. This says that it is. So if you take all this evidence, all these things that we've gone over for the last 20 minutes, Jesus affirmed that all Scripture is the Word of God. Jesus told his apostles that he would inspire them to speak and write down his words. If you think about the fact that the authors knew that they were being inspired to record God's Word and not their own. The authors also knew that the other men were being inspired and that they were all writing Scripture. And also the authors never disagreed on subject matter because everything that they were writing was inspired by God. If you take all this into account and you look at these phrases that that men have said, the only reliable part of the Bible are the red words because the rest aren't Jesus' words. Jesus' teachings must be obeyed while the teachings of the Bible writers can be overlooked. That's crazy. All of the Bible is inspired by God. Just like that quote that we read earlier God's word is everything. These aren't specific writers that are writing their own words, but Luke is God's word. Paul is writing God's word. Peter's writing God's word. And when you put all this together, it's going to help us answer our next question that we're going to, or our next quote. The other quote is, the Bible is just old and irrelevant now and needs to be updated to conform to current culture. We've probably all heard that said on the news or maybe you've actually had someone tell that to you face to face. It just makes you laugh because if you're a student of the word, you know that, that that's bogus. Think about this. This game, guy's name is Chris Black. And back in the 90s, he married his Fender guitar, Brenda the Fender. He legally married her. Here's another one. In 2006, this lady named Sharon Tindler she married a dolphin. People are crazy. People are nuts. <laughs> and you're telling me that God's word needs to conform to this? It's, not, it's crazy. God's law never conformed to common culture. Never one time in the New Testament or the Old Testament did that happen. Common culture of Sodom was homosexual. You had these these terrible situations going on there in Sodom. You can read about the story of Lot and how he moved his family in there. The angels of the Lord were actually sought after by these homosexual men. And that was the culture at Sodom. That was right in Sodom. That's what people thought was right in Sodom. Genesis 18, verse 20, when you read about that, and the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will change my laws to fit their culture. Is that what he said? Nope. 
not what happened. Jude 1 verse 7 records of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. It doesn't say anything about conforming to common culture. God never once conformed to what culture was doing. Culture never dictated the word of God. He punished them. He destroyed Sodom. He destroyed these men that were living there in Sodom. Another example is idolatry. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. These people had a problem with various different things, lust, idolatry, sexual immorality. Did God conform his message and did God conform his teaching to that? No way. What happened to him? Keep reading there. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them were also tempted and destroyed by the serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Then say, let he who's doing what he's doing keep on doing it because God's going to change it. He says, take heed. Beware, because you're going to fall. You're going to be destroyed as we have example after example about. God's word never came from a man, so it's unable to be changed by a man. It's another point I want to establish Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as the light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spake or spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This word, and we've already talked about this pretty heavily this morning, it never came from man. So why does man think that he can change this word to match what he wants? 50 years ago, you think, think about the culture of America 50 years ago. Homosexuality was forbidden. You didn't talk about it. You didn't do it. You didn't think about people who did it. Men didn't go in and use women's restrooms 50, 50 years ago. 50 years ago, maybe a little bit more than 50 years ago, racism was a, a big problem. Were they correct? Should, should the word of God have conformed to 50 years ago? Guess what we'd be doing? We'd be changing it again today. Because culture changes. Man changes. Man's ideas about, about morals and about life change. God never changes. God said his truth would not change. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. That's in Isaiah 40, verse 8. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them. They're not going to change you. You're going to change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same. Your, your years will have no end. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. 
they're not going to be changed. They're going to remain unchanged because God is perfect. God wrote the New Testament. God wrote the Old Testament. God doesn't change. So this quote, the Bible is old and irrelevant now and needs to be updated to conform to common culture. It's crazy. God's never going to conform because God never changes. Man's going to change, but God is not. So can God's word change? God's law never conformed to common culture. God's word never came by man, so it's unable to be changed by man. God said also that his word was not going to change. And if you put all this together and you answer that quote that God's, God's word needs to conform to common culture, no way. Absolutely not. Man's word, man's ideas need to change to conform to God. Let's look at our last scripture here. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world. The world's going to want you to conform to it. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If God's word's not going to change, we need to change our hearts. We need to make sure that our thoughts, our message conforms to the word of God that's not ever going to change this morning I hope that, that as we've looked at these quotes as we've looked at these these misrepresentations of God's word that you'll be able to, to understand that, that the words of Christ are the word of God but so is the whole Old and New Testament that it all came from the same inspirator that being God and I hope that as we've answered this last question about the whether or not God's word is going to conform, it's not going to happen. We need to make sure that our lives are changing to fit it, that we're transformed into God's creation. So this morning, I want you to think about your life. And have you had that thought that, that I don't need to conform, that, that I don't need to change, that I'll be okay, that the way, the way I'm doing things right now, I'll make it. It'll be all right. It's not going to happen. God's word is everlasting. God's word is perfect. And we need to make sure that we're transforming our lives to match it. And I hope this morning that if you look inside your life and you find that you're not doing that, I hope that you'll change that. And I hope that you'll make that change. We're going to offer an invitation at this time. And if you need the prayers of the church, or if you want to, to change your life and, and change it in the direction of God, and you want to be baptized, and you want to become his creation, we're going to offer that invitation as well. So please come as we stand and sing.